Welcome. In Parshas B'Shalach, we find B'nai Yisrael standing at the shores of Yam Suf, unsure of how they are going to get to the other side. Behind them is the Egyptian army chasing after them. And, of course, we know the end of the story. Kodesh Baruch Hu splits open the Yam and the B'nai Yisrael pass through. But just before that, <clears throat> we read the following Pasuk. Perik Yudalit, Pasuk Yudtes. Vayisa Malacha Elokim HaHolech Lifnei Machane Yisrael. And the angel of God, which normally went, which normally walked in front of the Machane Yisrael, the camp of the Israelites, it, it traveled, Vayelech Me'achareihem, and it went behind them. So this Malach, which normally walked in front of the Jewish nation, it now went to their back. Vayisa Amud Ha'anon Mipnehem, and also the Amud Ha'anon, the pillar of the pillar of cloud, which also normally was in front of them as they traveled in the daytime. Vayisa Amud Ha'anon Mipnehem, the Amud Ha'anon traveled from in front of them. Vayamid Meacharehem, and it stood behind them. Rashi says as follows, The Malach Elokim went behind them. Says Rashi, The purpose of the Malach Elokim going behind the Klal Yisrael was to separate between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Yisrael. I mean, these are, the Egyptians are coming to kill the Bnei Yisrael, or at least to, if not to kill them, then uh, to, to bring them back into slavery, to re-enslave them. So the Malach Elokim went behind <clears throat> the Bnei Yisrael so that it would be a separation between the Egyptians and the Bnei Yisrael. Rashi says, Ulekabel chitzim uvelesteroyes shel Mitzrayim. And also to receive, to catch the arrows and the missiles of Egypt. Blisteroyus would be like uh, stones that they would throw or that they would uh, shoot with a uh, with some sort of a mechanism with a um, a catapult. And uh, so it's translated as missiles. Of course, today we have the word ballistic. Blisteroyus. It is probably a similar word. So the this this Malach Elokim went and it stood behind the Am Yisrael, in between Am Yisrael, who was in front, and the Egyptians who were in back, and it separated us from them, and it caught their arrows and their and their missiles that they were shooting at us. Okay. Very good. Now Rashi continues and he asks a question. In every place in Tanakh, it says Malach Hashem. It always refers to a Malach of Yudke Vovke, a Malach of Hashem. The Khan, Malach Huelokim, but here it says the Malach, the angel of Huelokim. Of course, we know Hashem, the name Yud, Hey, Vov, and Hey, is, is, represents HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Midas Arachamim, his attribute of chesed and of kindness and of mercy, and the name Elohim represents 
the attribute of din, of judgment and strict judgment and sometimes punishment. So Rashi comments here that normally we refer to a malach as being a malach Hashem. When I say we, I mean the Chumash, Hashem's Torah. Normally in God's Torah, when it talks about a malach, it talks about malach Hashem. But here it mentions malach Elohim. So Rashi wants to know what's, what's the difference? Why is it different here? So Rashi answers, Ein Elohim The name Elohim in every place only indicates Din, that's the meaning of the name Elohim. It indicates the Midas Adin, the attribute of strict justice and punishment. So Melamed, this is teaching us, Shehoyu Yisrael Nesunim Bedin that Kla Yisrael, they were placed in judgment at that time. At this moment that they were about to cross over the Yamsuf, there was a possible judgment that was going to be issued against them. There was a consideration of Justice against them. Im not sell, im mitzrayim. If they should be saved or if they should be destroyed together with Egypt. There was a consideration in the heavenly, heavenly court. Should these people, these B'nai Yisrael, should they be saved? Or are they really just as bad as the Egyptians? They, they do idolatry and they have abandoned the, the basic tenets of, 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 of the of the um, of the practice of the foref- of their forefathers, the proper service to Hashem of their forefathers, and therefore perhaps they should just be destroyed along with the Egyptians. So there was this din going on, and therefore that's why this Malach is referred to as Malach Ho'elokim, an angel of strict justice. I'd like to begin our analysis of this Rashi with a few technical questions. First of all, Rashi seems to explain this Pasuk out of order. He starts, the first thing he says is Vayelech me'achrehem. His Dibur HaMaschal is the words Vayelech me'achrehem. In the middle, which comes three quarters of the way into the Pasuk, in the middle of his discussion of the words Vayelech me'achrehem, he goes backwards to the second and third word in the Pesach, Malach Elohim, and he, and he asks a question, why does it say Malach Elohim? Why doesn't it say Malach Hashem? So it seems if his Rashi is first attacking a phrase towards the end of the Pesach, and then he goes backwards to the beginning of the Pesach. That's not his normal way of doing things. So that's question number one. Why is Rashi explaining this Pesach out of order? Question number two is that Rashi here is asking a question explicitly, which is not his usual, his usual way of doing things, as I've explained many times. Rashi s- says very explicitly, Whether the next few words should be included as part of the question or part of the answer, I'm not 100% sure. Let's say for the moment it's part of the question. And ain't Elohim b'chomokim Okay, he's raising a, a question explicitly. He's saying, why does this Pasuk say Malach Elohim, whereas it normally would say Malach Hashem? So anytime Rashi asks an explicit question, we have to ask ourselves, why is he doing that? That's not his usual derech. Question C. 
is really a, uh, a corollary to our first question, but we'll make it into a separate question. Rashi spends the, the whole second half, even more than half of his comment here, is spent on discussing why it says Malach Elohim and not Malach Hashem. Why didn't he make a separate Dibor Amaskal out of that? Why didn't he make a separate title? The title of the whole Rashi is Vayelach Me'achrehem, but it seems like there are really two, two comments over here. One comment is Vayelach Me'achrehem, and the second comment is Malach Elohim. But Rashi stuffs it all into one comment, into one headline. So that's the question, why does Rashi do that? A fourth question is, is uh, expressed very uh, eloquently in the Sefer Mare Rochel, and that is that Rashi tells us, the Cholmokim, in every place, the Torah says, Malach Hashem. But here it says, Malach Elohim. Well, the, the author of Mare Rochel did a little research and discovered, or maybe, maybe he just knew it offhand, I don't know, but the author of Mari Rachel tells us that the phrase Malach Hashem appears in Tanakh 61 times. But the phrase Malach Elohim does appear seven times. So what does Rashi mean? B'chol makayim hu amer Malach Hashem. B'chan Malach Elohim. It's not really true that B'chol makayim, every place, it says Malach Hashem. It says Malach Elohim sometimes. So why does Rashi... Uh, it, 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 it really reduces the strength of his, of his question. So that's another question that we have on Rashi. Why is he asking this question that, that really, when you analyze it, it's not such a strong question? I would like to answer these questions and to explain the whole Rashi comment in two different ways. The first way is more or less what, it is, what is written in the Sefer Mare Rochel. The author will forgive me if I embellish a little bit, but this is essentially what I think it says there. One of our questions was, why is Rashi here asking an explicit question, which he usually does not. He explicitly asks, um, why, why does it say here, Malach Elohim, and not... Malach Hashem. The general principle, which is introduced by the Sefer Mask of the David in his introduction to his commentary and other commentators, the general principle is that when Rashi asks an explicit question, that is not really his main question on the Pasuk. His main question on the Pasuk is something that is in the Pasuk itself and something that we really should have noticed ourselves. Rashi's explicit question is another question which is brought in in order to lead us towards a certain idea which will answer the main question. Now, that implicit question, which Rashi does not write, but which we should be able to find in the Pusik ourselves, is referred to by the Maskele David as the Hergish Mi the feeling or the question that comes from the outside. It's called from the outside because it is not in the written words of Rashi. It's in the written words of the text of the, of the Torah. But he recalls it the Hergish Mibichutz because it's outside of the written words of Rashi. And the Sefer Mari Rochel explains that the Hergish Mibichutz here is 
that there are two verbs here in the in the in the Pusik which describe the movement of this Malach Elokim from in front of Klai Yisrael to behind Klai Yisrael. It says Vayisa Malach Elokim. The Malach Elokim traveled and it Vayelech and it went Meachrehem. The Malach Elokim that normally was in front of Klai Yisrael, in front of the Machani Yisrael, Vayisa it traveled Vayelech and it went. Now that that, that uh, we could have dispensed with one of those words. That's two verbs to describe essentially one action. So that was Rashi's main question. Now, in order to answer that question, Rashi introduces a different question, which he essentially found in the Mechilta, which is one of the primary Midrashim on Sefer Shemais. He found in the Mechilta that the Mechilta raises the question, why in this Pasuk is the Malach referred to as Malach Huelokim rather than Malach Hashem? And the Mechilta answers, because here there was a din going on, there was a judgment going on. There was a possibility that Kla Yisrael could have been Has destroyed right here because of their many sins which they had committed in Mitzrayim. And so there was a judgment. Should they be saved or should they be destroyed together with the Egyptians? So that's, the Mechilta says, that's why it says, Malachu Elohim. Now, we can explain, with this Rashi is answering, we can understand why the movement of the Malachu Elohim is described with, is, is indicated with two different verbs, Vayisa and Vayelech. Vayisa means that it moved behind the Kla Yisrael to protect them. As Rashi begins, Rashi begins by saying, to separate between the Egyptians and the Bnei Yisrael, and to catch the arrows and missiles of the Egyptians so that they shouldn't hurt the Bnei Yisrael. So that's one movement of the Malach. The Malach moved in order to protect the Kla Yisrael. But there was another purpose why this Malach was present, what this Malach was doing over here. This Malach was judging Kla Yisrael. This Malach was involved in the heavenly judgment which was taking place, this trial of Kla Yisrael. Should they be protected or should they be destroyed? And that's why it also says Vayelech. Now, according to this, we understand why it's all in one Dibur HaMaschel. What is Rashi's Dibur HaMaschel? His Dibur HaMaschel is Vayelech Me'achrehem. His title is the second phrase that describes the, the movement of the Malach. Vayelech Me'achrehem. Because that's really what was bothering Rashi. His question was, why did the Torah have to use a second verb to describe what this Malach was doing and how it was moving? The entire Rashi, if we look at it as, let's say, a little essay, his whole essay, his whole shtikl Torah, is to explain why do we have these extra words, apparently extra words, vayelech, this this extra word of vayelech, or vayelech meachrehem. And the answer is because the Malach was doing two things. It was there to protect Klai Yisrael, but it was also there to judge Klai Yisrael. 
So we understand why Rashi, we now can answer all of our questions. Question number one was, why does Rashi explain Vayelach before he explains Malach Elohim? The answer is, he is mainly coming to explain Vayelach Mi'achrehem. That's really his question. He only brought in the question about Malach Elohim as a means of coming to the answer about Vayelach Mi'achrehem. So of course he begins with, begins with Vayelach Mi'achrehem. Question number two, why is Rashi asking an explicit question? Well, because it's not his main question. Really, he had a different question, as we explained. Why doesn't he make a separate Dibra Maschil out of the words Malach Elohim? The answer is that wasn't his main question. That was only something that he brought in in order to bring out a point. And isn't Rashi's explicit question a little bit weak? Because Rashi says, Everywhere it says Malach Hashem, but that's not really everywhere. It's admittedly 61 times in Tanakh, as opposed to only seven times where it says Malach Elohim, but it's not such a strong kasha. And the answer is, we have to invoke one more principle, which I didn't say before. In my humble opinion, Rashi's explicit question, when Rashi asks an explicit question, not only is it a a, a, an indicator that his main question is really something else, which is in the Pasuk itself. But it's also an indication that the question that he is asking explicitly has some certain weakness in it. Perhaps it is not based on the Pasuk at hand, it's really based on a later Pasuk. Or it's a question which really has some very simple, simple and, and very apparent answers uh, the average person might not have even asked it. Or in this case, we've just explained it. It's not really such a strong question. Why does the Torah here say Machanah Elokim? Well, the Malach Elokim. The Tanakh says Malach Elokim sometimes. It's not such a strong question, and therefore Rashi wrote this question explicitly. This is more or less what the Sefer Ma'ara Rachel explains. A second way to answer these questions on Rashi is found in the Sefer Amar Nekei, which is attributed to Rabbi Ovadim Ibertanoro, the author of the famous commentary on the Mishnah. It is also found in the Sefer Devik Tov, which is an old super commentary on Rashi. Again, I'm going to embellish a little bit and say it in my way, but this approach is more or less in those Svarim. The fundamental principle that we need to know for this approach, is that although Rashi does not usually ask explicit questions, that means that he does not usually ask explicit questions on the Pusik itself. If there's something in the Pusik that is very troublesome and that Rashi wants to explain, he will usually just explain it and not tell you what the question is. He expects that you can figure out what the question was. When he asks an explicit question, sometimes the reason he's asking it explicitly is because it's not a question on the Pusik itself, it's a question on himself. It's a question on something that he said. And uh, I theorize, I can't say this for sure, that Rashi didn't expect you to understand him so perfectly. He expected, he expected you to really concentrate and look at the Pusik carefully 
and that any major questions you should really notice yourself, and therefore he doesn't have to tell you what the question is, he just gives you the answer. But when it's a question on Rashi, Rashi, in his humility, didn't necessarily expect you to notice what the question is, didn't expect you to be concentrating so carefully on what he's saying. So if there's a question on what he himself said, he will raise that question explicitly. Whether that's the reason or not, we can see in many places that where Rashi has a question on his own commentary, he will raise the question explicitly. Now, how does Rashi begin his comment here? He takes the words, Vayelech me'achrehem, and he says, what's the reason? Why did the Malach go behind the Am Yisrael? That's not was not its usual place. I mean, the Pasuk itself says explicitly, this was the Malach Elokim ha'holech lifnei machana Yisrael. This was the Malach that normally walked in front of them. So why is it now going behind them? So Rashi gave a reason. It was going behind them in order to separate between the approaching army of the Egyptians and the encampment of Kla Yisrael, and to catch and uh, prevent the progress of the, of the uh, arrows and missiles that were being shot by the Egyptians. So Rashi gave the reason why the Malach went behind the Kla Yisrael. Now, he's saying that the Malach was doing an act of chesed, an act of kindness. Kla Yisrael is standing there. They're not experienced warriors. They are men, women, children, old people. They're not really an army. And here they're being chased by what was probably the most powerful army in the world at that time, the Egyptian army. And so the Malach, as an act of chesed, stood behind them in between the Kla Yisrael and their enemy in order to protect them. It is an act of kindness. On this, Rashi had a kasha. His kasha was, well, before we get to that, this is not the only possible explanation. This explanation is, it's strong, but it, yeah, I wouldn't say it, uh, it's absolutely exclusive and, and uh, beyond argument. In fact, we find amongst the major Mepharshim, we find one of them anyway, Rabbi Avadya Svarno, who explains it very differently. The Svarno says as follows. I'll read a few of these words. Vayelech mi'achrehem, the Malach went behind Kla Yisrael, lahatich osam tohoimais shi'ikafu b'lev yam lefnei Yisrael ba'avram. The reason the Malach went behind Kla Yisrael as they were standing here on the banks of Yam Suf was to melt the water that would freeze in the heart of the sea in front of Kla Yisrael as they would go through the sea. They're about to go through Yamsuf. What's going to happen to the water as they're walking through? The water is going to freeze, whether he means literally from cold or it just means they're going to freeze from movement. They're not going to move. They're going to form two walls, a wall on each side, and the Bnei Yisrael are going to be able to walk through. Now, after they walk through, or as they're walking through, the water needs to melt and then fall back on top of the Egyptians. So the Svarno says that the Malach was there in order to melt that water that would freeze, in order to turn the ground 
of the of the sea, the seabed, into mud, so that when the Egyptians walk through, they're going to be bogged down in the mud, etc. So in other words, Svarno is saying, why did the Malach HaLokim walk, go now behind the Klal Yisrael? It was an act of din. It was an act of punishment. And you see that he's explaining it not like Rashi. The, the, uh, one could have explained this Pasuk. Okay, Rashi lived uh, a few hundred years before the Svarno. But you see that uh, somebody who had a, a real grasp of, 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 the un, of understanding of Chumash, such as Sephorno, understood it this way. Rashi presumably thought of that way also. He knew that's a possibility. But he started off by saying that, no, what the Malach did is he stood behind Klai Yisrael to protect the Klai Yisrael, not to judge the Egyptians, but to protect the Am Yisrael. Therefore, Rashi asks a question on himself. His question, we can paraphrase his question as follows. I said that the Malach went behind Klai Yisrael for a chesed, but the word Malach Elokim indicates din, and maybe my, my, my explanation, my interpretation, maybe is not correct. Maybe the proper uh, explanation of the Pasuk is, is what uh, somebody named Svono someday is going to say that the reason the Malach Elohim went behind Klai Yisrael was for Din, was to punish the Egyptians. So maybe I'm wrong. So Rashi is raising a question on himself. Now, the truth is, I think Rashi has a reason why he liked his Perush, his interpretation, better than that of Svarno. And that is because if you go later on, if you look later on in Perik Yudalit, Psukim Chavzayin and Chavzayin and Chavches, it does not, well, let's leave that point out. In any case, Rashi understood that the Malach Horelokim here went behind Klai Yisrael as a matter of, as an act of Chesed. But he said to himself, he asks on himself, but wait a minute. That's not what we call muhrach. That's not so necessary to say. That's not foolproof. Maybe it's not so. And the words, the word, the phrase, the name, Malach Elohim, really indicates the opposite, that it was a matter of din. That's Rashi's question. What is Rashi's answer? His answer is, it was both. This Malach had a dual function. The Malach was, did move behind Klai Yisrael in order to protect them, but also, the Am Yisrael at that moment was subject to a heavenly judgment. There was a trial going on. If they should be saved or if they should be destroyed together with Mitzrayim. So there was Din. So there are two things going on over here. There's chesed, the Malach went behind Klai Yisrael to protect them from the Egyptians, but on the other hand, maybe HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to decide now to destroy them all. There was a din going on, and therefore it's called a Malach Elokim. So we can now go back 
and we can answer all of our questions, all of our technical questions on Rashi. Why does he begin by explaining which is really towards the end of the Pasuk, why doesn't he start with his question of Malach Elokim? The answer is, when he first saw the words Malach Elokim, that didn't bother him so much. It's only later, when it says, he wanted to understand why is the Malach going behind them, so he said it's going behind them to protect them. Why does he ask an explicit question, which he usually does not do? The answer is, because this question is not on the Pusik. On a Pusik, he does not usually ask an explicit question. But on himself, when he's questioning whether his interpretation is correct, Rashi will ask explicitly. Question number three. Why doesn't Rashi make a separate Dibra Maschil out of the words Malach or Elohim? Well, that's the same answer, because that's not really his main topic. He only brought in the issue of Malach Elokim as opposed to Malach Hashem as a question that he was raising on his own interpretation. But if not for that question that he had on his own interpretation, he wouldn't have discussed it at all. So it's not a separate issue. And the fact that his question, his explicit question, is not such a strong question, because really the, the Tanakh does sometimes use the phrase we can give the same answer as before, that when Rashi asks an explicit question, it is very often not the strongest question. It's a question that uh, could have been answered perhaps in a different way, but he's bringing it in for a certain reason. These are two possibilities of how to answer the technical questions on Rashi. What are some of the lessons that can be learned from this Pusik and from this Rashi? I'm sure there are many. I'd like to mention two. We spoke last week about the philosophical concept known as dualism, the false idea that the universe is controlled by two opposing forces, the Kayach HaToiv and the Kayach HaRa. That everything good that happens comes from one God, let's call it. And every, everything bad that happens, everything negative that happens, that comes from a different deity. Of course, that is, that is antithetical to the, to the Torah. The Torah is what is called monistic. Everything comes from one source. Everything comes from a Kodesh Baruch Hu. We see this very clearly from this Rashi. This is a, a beautiful example here in this Rashi. We have this same Malach Elokim. I'm not an expert on malachim. I don't know exactly what a malach is. But we have here this same entity, which is referred to here as malach Elokim. It is on the one hand protecting Klai Yisrael. It is on the other hand judging them and, and deciding or participating in the judgment that, that, that maybe they should be destroyed together with Mitzrayim. That is not a question of two opposing forces fighting it out and seeing who is stronger. This is one source which is considering all angles of the question. We find this also a little bit later in the Shira Sayam, where Klai Yisrael, Maishu Rabbeinu, and Klai Yisrael praise HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the miracles he did at Yam Suf. One of the first psukim says, Hashem ish milchama, Hashem shemo. Hashem is the master of war, 
Hashem is his name. Because here Hashem means Yud Hey, Vav, and Hey, the, the shame of Rachamim. Rashi there says, Af even at the moment that Hashem, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is taking revenge on people and fighting against his enemies, but Ochezu B'midosai, he holds on to his attribute, the Rachem al Bruov, to have mercy upon his creations. V'lozun es kolboi oilam, and to sustain all those who come into the world. At the same moment that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was thrashing the Egyptians, quote-unquote, mercilessly. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu had mercy. Klai Yisrael was being saved. People in other countries were eating and sleeping and drinking, and, and they were being sustained. HaKadosh Baruch Hu was able to take care of everything all at once, because it's not a fight between this, this power of good and that different power of evil. It is all from one source, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Another thing that we see from this Pesach, it doesn't really depend on Rashi, but from the Pesach itself, uh, Rav Hirsch points out something that I find very fascinating and very, very inspiring. We see here that the, the Malach of Elohim, this Malach that normally walked before us, just before Kriyas Yamsuf, it walked behind us for various reasons, as Rashi explains. However, we will try to understand the relationship between the different reasons. But the Malach walked behind us. And then what happened? How did we cross the Yamsuf? What, crossed, what, what facilitated the splitting of the Yamsuf? It wasn't this Malach that normally walked in front of us, because this Malach was now behind us. So Rav Hirsch comments that the Yam did not retreat, it did not split because of an angel of God, but rather it split because of human beings who placed their trust in Hashem. Klai Yisrael, most notably the Midrashim talk about the Gemara, the Midrash talks about Nachshen ben Aminadav. There's also a Midrash that says, there's a Gemara that says Shevet ben Yamin went in first, whoever it was. But there were human beings who trusted that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was going to somehow open up this sea. And they stepped in, and that is what caused the sea to split. They didn't need any emsa'i, no intermediary. It was just the human being trusting and believing and relying on a Baruch Hu, and the miracle occurred.